0: Bum 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 ba da pa da da ta 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 ta
1: What happens when you take a redneck fishing guide and pair him up with a master beekeeper?
0: Welcome to this very special Halloween edition of... The Hive Jive. (laughs) It started off just like any other day. The sky was blue and the early morning dew had already faded from the flower petals in the meadow. I watched as my siblings rushed out into the day, and I dreamt of what adventures they might encounter on their journey. I wasn't old enough to join them just yet, so I had to stay home and tend to my chores instead. Sometimes, I felt like my every waking moment was comprised of these never-ending chores, but I knew that someday I would finally be old enough to venture out on my own, and for now, I was left here with my fantasies. Well, fantasies and chores, that is. Always with the chores. Help clean the house, help put up the groceries, help make the bread... There's always something to help with, but at least these times seem to pass by quickly when you're this busy. I was on my way to the nursery to feed my little sister when it happened. At first, I wasn't really sure, but I thought I might just be imagining things. My vision got a bit hazy, and I thought perhaps the fog of my endless daydreams had finally gotten the better of me. But then I realized the fog was real, and it carried with it a smell that I had never experienced before. I couldn't place what it was or where it was coming from, but it was overpowering as it encircled me, drowning out everything else in its presence. I thought I saw one of my sisters rushing frantically about. She seemed to be trying to tell me something, but no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't hear her. I started to feel anxiety rising inside of me, and I tried to cry out in response, only to find that this odorous fog was isolating my senses and robbing me of my voice. Is this what had befallen my sister? I saw others rushing in the direction of the pantry, so I tried my best to follow them. But right as I reached the passage, I was frozen in my tracks by a sound of a sudden cracking noise. It was distinct, and it was growing louder as the snapping and popping sounds passed around me. After a moment of confusion, I realized the source of the sound. It was coming from the walls themselves. Another loud crack came, and then another, as the entire house seemed to groan and everything around me started to shake. Terrified, I took shelter in a small alcove just in time to witness the walls starting to shift in opposite directions, and small laser beams of piercing light shot throughout the darkness. I tried to get my bearings, to steady myself against the shaking floor, but before I could the unthinkable happened. The entire roof exploded upwards and out of sight as a blinding light flooded in all around me. My senses were immediately overwhelmed, I no longer knew where I was or what was happening around me. I was in shock and my eyes were struggling to adjust but I felt as if I were moving. As my vision started to come back into focus, I realized I was indeed moving. I was moving upward. Pieces of the interior of my home were being ripped out and hoisted high into the air where they seemed to float for a bit before moving off out of sight. To my horror, I was on one of these very pieces. I watched as my sisters rushed to hide from the light, but it was too late for them. Some of them were trying desperately to hang on while others were falling into oblivion. I too was trying to cling tightly against the wall as it rose higher and higher, but I was slipping. I didn't know how much longer I could go on. This truly had to be the end. My entire universe had exploded into unimaginable chaos. There was nothing that I could do but stand witness to the destruction all around me. What could possibly hold the power to decimate my world as if it were nothing but wisps of grass? Well, I didn't have to wait long for my answer. As the piece of wall that I clung to began tilting on its axis, the horizon went vertical, and I saw the source of my nightmare. It was as if the clouds themselves had come down and taken form. A giant, billowy beast was pulling me ever higher, ever closer to a desolate blackness that concealed a giant smiling face. In a panic, I tried to scramble backwards away from this white demon, but I lost my footing and I began to plummet downward. For the briefest of moments, as the air rushed around me, I felt at peace in its roaring embrace, as if I had always been meant to ride on these currents of air. It was a fleeting thought, though, a momentary reprieve before the dark void that was once my home enveloped me once again, and I drifted off into silence.
1: <laughs> you read too much. What's his name? The 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 writer. The uh. uh... Horror writer, uh, Stephen King.
0: Stephen, <laughs> well, Stephen King is a horror writer. Yeah, Stephen King. That sounds like something he would a uh, Pet
1: Cemetery or something.
0: Uh, you did good. That's good. That's my uh, that's my official scary bee story I created um, last night. Actually, <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> Well, I've been
1: thinking of mine. I didn't write it out down though. I'm just gonna keep it in my head. Oh, I
0: had to write that down. There, there would have been no way I would have messed it all up.
1: Well, I'm gonna probably mess mine up. Mine ain't gonna be near as precise and clean as yours is.
0: Because I'm <laughs> well, gonna
1: have it in my head.
0: I, we we do have legitimate like scary stories about bees and some of their distant cousins that have some really bizarre traits and stuff. But mm-hmm. I thought it would be cool to have a oh, yeah. a real scary bee story. So, oh, well. uh, I like your shirt. Yeah. <laughs> you got one just like it. Mine's bigger. <laughs> uh, so, uh, we we kind of teased you guys on some of the other episodes that your bonus episode for your scary bee stories was coming up and that Ken and I would have a, a treat for you guys. where We were going to be dressed as Twinkies. And uh, he found these shirts for us and, and bought them. And it's hysterical. But the and we'll post pictures so that everybody can see this but for those of you who who um you know have not yet joined us on Instagram or Facebook um they're orange shirts yep and kind of on the orange. uh on the front safety of them safety orange you've got a couple of bees that yep. are dressed up as ghosts for yep. halloween and yep. they're around a campfire Casper the bee ghost. and they are you know like ter- telling scary stories and roasting mm-hmm. marshmallows by the the campfire mm-hmm. um and the uh the little bees dressed as ghosts <laughs> are appropriately placed right in the chest area of the shirt. And then underneath it, it says, boo bees. Boo Yeah. <laughs> <Boobies>! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm
1: sorry. <laughs> no, it's <didn't. laughs> good. But yeah. But uh, yeah. So this is the Halloween show?
0: Yeah. Um, uh, no, I mean, yeah, yeah, this is obviously the way that a whole thing started off. Of course, it's our Halloween show. Yeah, it is. So, um, if we go down through our different types of, of bees here that we were going to tell stories about, mm-hmm. um, one of them is, uh, well, actually before we get directly into that, tell your story about your family heritage whenever they, they were like coming through on the wagons and they oh, found yeah. the beehive.
1: Uh, my, uh. See it was the Hudson side of my family. Uh, in the 1800s, early 1800s, they were all my family came to Texas uh, from Tennessee and Kentucky, and they were bringing you know, they're coming in the, in the wagons, and this one and I don't know what his, remember his first name, I just know he was a Hudson, him and his son, his son was 12 years old. There, the dad saw a bee tree a bee tree. So he decided, well, we're going to go get some honey. So he grabbed an axe, grabbed a butcher knife, and he's going to cut the hole in the tree and, and just cut the honey out and pull it out of the tree. So they're walking to the tree. Uh, the son is holding a bucket or a, a pail and the dad has the axe and the butcher knife. And a cougar jumps on the dad from his back, and he's trying to bite his back of his head, uh, trying to basically kill him and and so he, eat him. Well, when he hits him from the back, he slams him forward onto the ground. He drops his axe, and he when he hit the ground, the knife come out of his hand, and it fell away from him. Well, the son is sitting there watching all this happen and he's watching his dad reach for the butcher knife and finally his son runs over there grabs the butcher knife and puts it in his dad's hand his dad then turns over and kills the cougar with the butcher knife and they were going after honey
0: yep <laughs> we have no idea if they ever got their honey
1: <laughs> i don't know anything in the story but the, my family has kept journals from when they came in and in here in Texas too so oh uh, it's and uh, one of my my great great grandpa he was a circuit preacher baptist preacher and they paid how they paid those circuit preachers they didn't pay him money but they'd give him a dozen eggs or they'd give him a a ham or something like that that's how they pay him well uh, there was many times he got paid in honey
0: mm-hmm
1: and, uh, then as I have gone back and looked in Egypt in the, in the ancient times, they paid a lot of people with honey. It's a, so, yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it's a, especially in times when like honey was the only natural sweetener that you mm-hmm. could get a hold of. Um, it was a very crucial item and it was mm-hmm. a rarity. So it was a treat to be able to have it. Um, and they didn't, a lot of people didn't keep beehives, they robbed out a colony like what you were talking about. Mm-hmm. And if you do that, well then that colony's done. That colony's gone. So next year you can't go back and harvest from that again. You would then have to be able to find another colony somewhere else. And that's kind of one of the the revolutions of beekeeping through the ages is as they started to learn, well if I hollow out this log or if I build this wicker hive or if I do these things, then I can keep the bees and I can harvest, but the bees will stay, and then I can go back and harvest again next year, and it becomes a repeatable process. So, um, yeah. So on uh, on the scary, real mm-hmm. bee things, mm-hmm. the first one on the list is Africanized bees, and That'd I have scary. I have uh, a story, and I don't know if I've ever actually told it on the show or not before. Um, I don't know. I mean, if I have, it could have been also on your radio show. I don't know if it's been on the podcast mm-hmm. or not. But So the, the very first time I ever encountered a truly Africanized hive was I had went to do a removal job. And the removal job was on this piece of property that had a lot of stuff out there. And the original call was, you know, we have bees in a trailer. And I'm like, oh, yeah,
1: you've told me that. Yeah.
0: And I'm like, okay, well, is it, you know, is it a cargo trailer? Is it a mobile home trailer? Is it like, you know, a trailer for the back of a truck? Or is it one of the big trailers that goes on a train? And uh, finally got it all worked out. It ended up being a semi truck trailer. The semi truck was full of tires. And I get there, and there's not one colony, there's two colonies inside this trailer back in the tires. And then they're like, oh, and we also have one up front underneath the little shop, but uh, or in their office, but it's, it's little quote unquote, because they can only see a few inches of it hanging <laughs> down below the the skirting there. And so like, there's a little one up there and we work out this whole plan that I'm going to come out there and I'm going to do this removal. And it was going to be on Saturday and it just happened to be the 4th of July. And I'm like, okay, well, we'll come out and we'll, we'll get it all taken care of. Somebody needs to be here so that they can provide electricity for me. And... I show up that day and there's nobody there, even though they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, so-and-so lives right here in this little house on the edge of the property and they'll be there and and you can plug in there and it's within 200 foot so you can get the electricity you need. Well, there was nobody there. And I was I was a little miffed by this. Um, And so I'm looking around and at the adjacent property, there's a lady out front watering her garden. And I should have noticed that something was very off. But I was, again, I was in my own little world, and I had my own little problems, and that's that wasn't really thinking about it. And so as I look over there, I see that at, behind her house, there's an RV camper and a hookup, and there's a power outlet there. And I'm like, well, I could do that. If, if she'll let me, I could run the cord from there over to here and make this work and still be able to get this done way more quickly than if I have to do it without any electricity. And so I holler over the fence at her. And I was like, hey, I'm really sorry to bug you, but we're over here to do a bee removal and I need electricity and there's nobody here. Could I possibly plug in at your outlet? And she starts screaming back, you do bees. I have bees. You'll get over here right now. And I was like, OK. So I go walking down the edge of the property around the fence and I come over to her area. And as I walk up to her, it suddenly occurs to me and she points it out. She was like, look at me. Look at this. This is ridiculous. She has on a hat. Glasses, a scarf, long sleeve sweater, gloves, pants, and boots. And it's July 4th in Texas. It's hot. And she is, every bit of her is covered from head to toe. And she was like, I have to dress like this to water my garden. I will not let my grandkids come visit because I'm afraid they'll get hurt. I won't let my pets go outside because I'm afraid <laughs> they'll get hurt. And I'm like, what? what's going on? And she was like, it's the bees. They're so mean. Everywhere on the property, they will just come after you. And so I asked her where the hive was, and she was like, it's behind the house. And I'm expecting it to be like all these other ones in some sort of foreign container, but it wasn't. It was in a traditional Langstroth hive setup, and it was two deep boxes with the inner cover and a roof. And I saw it, and I saw it from a distance. And I was like, oh, well, okay, sure, that's not a problem. Um, all I'll do, like, I've got these other three hives over here that I need to take care of, and it's going to take, you know, most of the day to get this done. But when I'm finished, I'll come over here, I'll seal up the entrance, we'll ratchet strap it down so it's all together, I'll set it in the back of the truck, it'll be off your property, no no problem. And, you know, she was like, well, how much how much would you charge for that? And I was like, well, you know, you don't want to just kick in 20 bucks basically for a donation, because, again, all I got to do is ratchet strap it down and carry it off the property. It's no big deal. (laughs) And she's like, "Okay, okay, okay." So I go and I spend eight hours of my day removing these other three colonies. And that little colony, by the way. Yeah. No, that went up a foot and a half and then went back six foot underneath (laughs) that shop. Um, But it's little. So we get this stuff all done. When you're underneath a building doing removals, it's the worst possible. I, I will I can almost, say that. <laughs> I will start off at like my cap for any residential job. I will start at that and go up for anything where I've got to crawl underneath a house or a building because it's it it's not fun. You're in a tight enclosed space. So here, here's and a, a bunch scary of mean yeah, bees. here's a scary story for you. Just no matter what, if you're claustrophobic in any way whatsoever, this will give you nightmares because you're laying on your back. The bees are barely a foot above you, directly in front of your face. They're mad at you. And everything that you do is falling directly on you, including the bees and the honey and the comb as you're trying to cut stuff out. So then you're covered in sticky goo, but you're laying underneath the trailer house in the dirt in ants. And now the ants are crawling up through the holes in the suit, and they're trying to get the honey, and you're moving, and so they start biting you. And then there's also the thought of there's probably snakes and rats under there with you as well. So yes, that's not the scary part of the story, but that's just why I hate doing things underneath the building. Mm -hmm. It's just not fun. So I get those done. I'm not, you know, in in the best of moods. I'm tired. I'm ready to go home. And we go over to the lady's house and we pull up and I back the truck up uh, probably twenty foot or so from. How many bees come after you? All of them.
1: All of them. All of them.
0: (laughs) Um, Back the truck up to the hive. And I got out, and my plan was like, I didn't have anything else with me at the moment except for duct tape. So I was just going to tape the entrance closed, and then we'd ratchet it down and call it good. I took the duct tape, and I pulled about a foot of it off. So it went, Here they go. Exactly. <laughs> 20 foot from the hive, and all I did was unroll tape. And they came out of that. By the way, that hive did not have one entrance. It had like seven. And they chose five of those entrances, which were, which were rotted holes, because I had never gotten close enough to truly see this. But they came out of it like black tentacles. It looked like something out of a cartoon. Solid black tentacles came out of this from these different places, and they all plowed and funneled straight into my face. Now, Right into the, the I, had, I had my suit on, exactly. Yeah. Thank God. But they hit the front of that mask, the veil, the blackness. They hit it, and then they just covered—let's just smack the mic. They covered my entire body, and I stood there and watched as my whole suit turned black. And I was like— oh, my God. Oh, my God. And then I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? And I'm, I'm starting to panic because I can't see me. All I can see are bees and there's so many bees on the front you can't see out and uh-huh. they're all trying they to all sting. To get in. Yeah, they're all trying to sting and you yeah. can actually see little droplets of venom and the smell was so overpowering it actually started to make my eyes, water, and my throat kind of burn. I mean, there were that many bees. What? And I was like, oh, my God. And so I've got one voice in my head almost turned into like Finding Run! Nemo and Dory where it's like, instead of just keep swimming, it was just keep breathing. And then the other voice is going, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. They can't get you. They can't get you. You're in a suit. And then the other one over here is screaming, God, I hope they can't get me. And so I'm like, all right, I'm going to have to, I'm going to get in the truck. And this is one of those things that, like, we try to teach people, but it's very, very, very contradictory to your own safety, your your internal, internal flight or uh, fight mechanisms.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm covered in bees. Hundreds of thousands is, is what it truck. felt like, right? But I, it, it, you know, we're talking. There might have been sixty thousand bees in that colony, but <clears> they were all on me, yeah. and it feels like it's millions at that point, you know. But it's 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 no more than any regular colony. They're mm-hmm. just all mean, and they all come for you instead of just a few guards. So I get in the pickup, roll the windows up, crank it on high, crank the AC on high, and they all start leaving me and going to the glass. And so once they're all over all the windows, well, then I crack the windows a little bit. And I let them start coming out, and they start kind of thinning out. And I do that until it gets to the point where it's mostly toler- tolerable. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, all right, well, I can't do anything. There, there's nothing I can do to that hive. It is so rotten. If I tried to ratchet strap it and pick it up, it's going to fall apart. I'd never be able to close up all the holes and entrances. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to have to come up with a plan B. And that's going to be come back out with new equipment, completely disassemble it, You know, put everybody on notice. But I also cannot go to this lady's front door... And explain to her what's happened because I'm covered in bees. Mm-hmm. And I don't have her phone number. I didn't bother to get that in the middle of all this. So I have to just leave. And when I left, I left like a bat out of hell. I pulled out onto that dirt road. I rolled every single window down and I just floored it. 80 mile an hour will suck a lot of bees out oh, of your yeah. truck. Yeah. Um, so that is, that is my true encounter with Africanized bees. And that was the first time... In the years that I've been doing bee removals and stuff, we're up to four truly Africanized colonies, and and we touch, like, minimum 200 average colonies a year. So that's not—it's not a lot. And that's no. why a lot of times when you hear, like we were saying earlier, you hear, oh, they were Africanized. Not necessarily. And I, I told you on one of the other episodes, I think, you don't—you can't actually know that unless you send that bee in and have it dissected. Right. And when they dissect it and they go through and they look at it, they measure the segments of the wings and the legs and different body parts. And genetically, they're only 10% genetically different than a regular European honeybee. They're just a subset of that same colony. So that leads us into our first scary bee that is a cousin of our bee. Now, for a tiny little note, and I don't have the last part of this scientific name in here, but I just to give you uh, relevance... <laughs> Apis mellifera is our European honeybee. Mm-hmm. Apis scutellata is the African bee. When you take mellifera and scutellata and you put them together, you sting get a buddy. You, you sting a buddy. <laughs> <laughs> you get the Africanized bees that we all know and love so well. Yeah. And it's Apis mellifera subset scutellata, right? Mm-hmm. Well, this bee is called the Cape bee. And the Cape bee is Apis mellifera scutellata subset something else. Uh (laughs) It's a very long subset. Now, I'll have some images that I'll post up for everybody on these, but the Cape bee is down in the Cape of Africa. and We ain't got them here. No. Oh, good. And we hope that we never do. Okay, they're worse than... Oh, no, no, no. You take this bee and you put it beside a European bee and an Africanized bee and have a Cape bee Mm -hmm. on there, you'll never be able to point out what is what and who is who. Mm Mm-hmm. The cape bee looks just like all the rest of the uh, the honeybees, the apis mellifera bees. Mm -hmm. But the deal with the cape bee is that in a normal honeybee, if you take the queen away from the colony Mm -hmm. and that colony goes laying worker, that worker invigorates its ovaries and starts laying eggs. But it doesn't even have the organs to mate. It's not physically possible for it to do so. So those eggs will never be fertilized which means they're going to be an unfertilized egg, which is a haploid. And haploid means it's only one set of the genetics. In a normal situation, that becomes a drone, and you end up with a drone-laying colony or, or laying workers, right? Well, the cape bee throws this bizarre little wrench in the works because the cape bee has figured out that if it needs to in dire straits, it can actually fuse part of its prenucleus nucleus and its polar body with the haploid egg to make it a diploid egg, which is a fertilized egg. Really? But since how, instead of half the genetics coming from, you know, the mother and half coming from the father, since how it is fusing this in from the mother, it is literally a 100% genetic identical duplicate clone of itself. So it can clone itself and go and start laying these fertilized eggs that will emerge into other female worker bees that have the ability to lay female worker bees. That can lay female worker bees, and it it starts this cascade effect. So it is the exact same scenario as a laying worker colony laying drones, and then the colony dies out because the drones don't forage, they don't do any work, they don't guard, and they eat you out of house and home. Well, here's the reverse of it. This colony lays female workers that all seem to think that they should be queens, but they're not because they've never mated. And so they all try to go and start laying, and nobody does any work because they all (laughs) think they're queens. And so the colony will still crash out and die. So the problem with this is is that these bees can invade and become a parasite or paratize other colonies. And they do that because they may get into that colony, and as long as that colony has a strong female presence in there, a strong pheromone from the queen, Mm -hmm. a lot of times these bees will never really activate But if they do, if they do get into other colonies, that colony will crash because they will go through and they will start laying eggs. And then they could outcompete the queen and and more of the babies that are being born are not going to do any work and not be true workers and everything falls apart. So beekeeping community, uh, you know, alerts is pray to God that the Cape Bee never makes it out of the Cape of Africa because if it does, it could decimate beekeeping as we know it. Wow. So wow. that's, that's a, a scary story on a cousin yeah. of our honeybee. Yeah. And that's, that would not be a fun thing to, to end up happening. No. They think that the reason that the bee evolved this way was because apparently all of the bees have the genetic capability to do this, mm-hmm. but it's such a small, like one in a thousand or more chance mm-hmm. that it doesn't ever really happen. Or if it does happen, that bee never gets to the point where it feels the need to do this. But in that specific region, it is extremely windy. And they, they have theorized in the little write-up on this that there's a high probability that when the queen leaves to go and mate, she never makes it back due to the wind. And therefore, you end up with a lot of colonies that don't have queens. And the only way those colonies survived is that 1% in there that had the ability to do this started increasing. And mm-hmm. then you start having this genetic selection to where it can move in the direction of now the majority of those bees have that trait that they can do. So it's a very crazy scenario for that. <laughs> you ready for the next one? Might as well. All right. So the next one is called Trigona. That's its scientific name for its fam- its family its family name. Trigona. Trigona. It's also known as the vulture bee. Now, the vulture bee gets its name because of the actual bird itself, mm-hmm. a vulture or carrion yeah. type bird. And the vulture bee, it does gather nectar and it does use the nectar just for its carbohydrates, just like all the rest of the bees do. And it does live in a colony and it does have a queen and it does function the same way. Mm -hmm. But these little bees, they're very, very akin to the stingless bees Mm -hmm. and the stingless bees go and they do like a bumblebee. They'll make a honey pot that sets upright, and they fill it with just a little bit of honey and then the the wax kind of comes up and makes a little honey pot. They don't have a lot of honey. They they live in extreme tropical areas where you don't need to overwinter and you don't need to have you know mm-hmm. hundreds of pounds of honey, so they don't do that. But it does not forage on pollen. It gets its protein from dead rotting flesh. Really? Yes, just like a vulture. <laughs> so when an animal dies, these bees will actually send out scouts, and they will go through and they'll actually listen. For signs of something that is failing or dying, just like the vultures circle above and they wow. wait for the prey to die. And then they let it roast in the sun and get just to that right amount of ich. It's really good and rotten. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The bees do the same thing. And then the whole colony of foragers come out and they devour the carcass of whatever was dead. And they chew up and masticate the dead flesh into this rotting blood jelly gunk.
1: And yeah, they call take honey.
0: that back to the colony <laughs> and they feed that to the larva. And that is the actual protein that the larva gets to go through and, and grow on. It, it's in place of the pollen, it's rotting <laughs> flesh. So the vulture bee, very disgusting little critter. Um, it only exists in like South America, um, you know, tropical, uh-huh. subtropical type places that are below the equator. It's not up around us, it's not anything like that. But it is. One of the few instances, I think the Trigona family has like six different varieties, Mm -hmm. but it's the only time that a bee is not a vegetarian. (laughs) Because wasps are carnivores. right? Bees are not. Bees are vegetarians. But in this case right here, or herbivore, um, in this case, it's the one instance that they're not that way. So our last little one here, this one is actually a wasp. So a cousin of a bee. And this wasp is called the Crypt Keeper wasp. Crypt Keeper. Yeah, I thought that was appropriately uh, named. So the Crypt Keeper wasp is interesting because it acts as a parasite on other wasps. Mm -hmm. It's little bitty, and we do actually have it here. It's the little black ones. Actually, it's not. Really? No, it's beautiful. It's almost like this, uh, like the sweet bees, how Mm -hmm. they're an iridescent green and blue. Mm -hmm. It looks like it is made out of like these jewels. It is beautiful, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but it's tiny. And what happens is there's a very specific type of wasp called the gull wasp. And the gull wasp is kind of a parasite to a specific type of tree because it will bore a hole into this one species of tree and it will lay its larva in there and then its larva will grow and pupate and kind of chew its way back out. Mm hmm. Well, the cryptkeeper wasp comes along, and it waits until the gull wasp has laid its larva, mm-hmm. and it waits till that larva is just about to hatch, and then it lays its egg right beside it. And that little bitty larva hatches out, and the big larva from the gull wasp is already starting to go through its feeding and growing, right? Well, the new larva from the cryptkeeper wasp burrows into the larva from the gull wasp, and then it stays in there. And it starts to co-opt all of the neurological functions inside that larva until it can take control of it. (laughs) So now you end up with this larva that as it's getting ready to go into its pupation phase and it's Mm going to start spinning its cocoon, the little Crypt Keeper larva inside of it somehow manipulates and controls it so that when it builds its cocoon, it actually builds a gel. And it makes its own prison cell by creating this dome that comes up and has just a tiny opening in it
1: well, and that the opening,
0: crypt keeper wasp could go out. Well, actually, the tiny opening is just perfectly the size of what the adult gall wasp's head will be. So that thing goes through and it pupates, and then as it's pupating, the other little cryptkeeper larva is uh-huh. eating and feeding, mm-hmm. and so then the adult wasp pupates, turns into the adult gall wasp, and mm-hmm. tries to get out, but it can't. It shoves its head up through that hole, which then locks it in place. And it's now trapped inside this hole with its head sticking out, but nothing else. And the larva inside of it has gone through its pupation, and the adult chews its way out of the body through the top of the skull. <laughs> Comes out through the top of the skull is of the wasp. The nature, crazy. It is insane. <laughs> but these little Crypt keeper wasps are beautiful. They're so pretty. They're iridescent. They're so pretty. Um, but those are those are just a few little fun tidbits. Those are fun, like you said. Nature's crazy. It's yeah. insane. It's scary. And those are some fun little stories there for you guys that are real bee species, or in that last case, a wasp, cousin of a bee. That do some gruesome and horrific things in nature that uh, is just kind of fun to go through and uh, and learn about. So so there's some uh, there's a you know, we started off with a scary story from a bee's perspective and then you had some scary things about real life bees. And I think to wrap it up, we'll do uh, one final scary bee story from Ken.
1: Do you want me to tell her, tell you about the Wicked Witch Queen Bee? Ooh, a Wicked Witch Queen Bee. Wicked Witch Queen Bee. What is the Wicked Witch Queen Bee? The Wicked Witch Queen Bee is a migratory bee. She she'll move from hive to hive as the hive needs them. And what happens is if the hive is in has a bad beekeeper. It's not taking care of the bees, they send messages to the Wicked Witch Queen Bee to come. So the Wicked Witch Queen Bee comes in, and the the beekeeper that's not taking care of the hives then, she comes in and justifies for herself, okay, yeah, he's not doing what he needs to be doing. So, poof, she turns him into a drone bee. What? Yeah, and what's crazy about this one, a lady told me about this she was she went in and opened up the hive took care of the hive and she was cleaning everything up and a head of a drone rolls over that had the little cap of her husband who was the beekeeper on the head of the drone no oh yeah well you think about what is it what do the what does the hive do when the drone returns.
0: Yeah, well, if the drone is unlucky and it's there this time of year, it's it's, it's bye bye. Torn all to
1: pieces. That's right. So so you always the moral of this story is always take care of your bees because you never know when they call the wicked witch queen bee in to take care of the beekeeper. Hmm. <laughs> I don't
0: know we should teach that to the little kids that want to get started in beekeeping Yeah. now if you don't be good to your bees the wicked witch queen bee is going to come along and she'll turn you into a drone
1: turn you into a drone now let's learn what happens to drones (laughs) in the
0: fall (laughs) well we appreciate everybody tuning in for our special Halloween scary bee story bonus episode and you can uh, see our
1: boobies after a while
0: oh my god (laughs) Leave it to Ken, everybody. Leave it to Ken. We'll post a picture of our um movies. Our B shirts. (laughs) Our B shirts, our Halloween B shirts. We will post a picture of those bee shirts, and the bees are dressed as ghosts, so they say boo, and they're bees. Yeah, um, we'll post that for everybody to see, but we hope you all have a great Halloween. Uh, you know, go get yourself a little scare, but ultimately stay safe, and until next time... Be good. Behave. Boobies!
1: The Hive Jive.